Please remain standing for our scripture lesson, which is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. These are profound verses, worthy of our pondering and definitely a sermon. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. Today we're closing out the fifth and glorious fifth chapter of Second Corinthians with two marvelous verses. So before we do, as always, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are the... Those tender lambs love you by your grace and completely dependent upon you. But we trust you. We thank you that you have sent us your son. We thank you that then you gave us this great role as ambassadors of the great exchange. Grant us now, Father, wisdom and grace to preach and hear this sermon. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 is really one of those verses that some people have said is a key verse in the whole Bible, really. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.21 boils the gospel down to the core and presents before us both the gore and the glory of the great exchange, the cross-transaction where Jesus Christ on his own body bore our sin, and then based on that sacrifice he made for us, shedding his blood, transacts his righteousness to us by imputation. This is a wonderful, glorious gospel truth. We then become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, there is such doctrine, if you think about it, would really on the surface seem rather blasphemously sacrilegious or grossly disrespectful to say that, as Paul does in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he became sin for us. It would seem that way if it was not codified clearly for us in the holy book, as it is even in this one verse and other places as well. So radical and dramatic is this gospel truth that every single human being should hear it. All the world and all the redeemed church should embrace it. No one should be or could be really exempt from this good news sent by heaven's king to this fallen, sinful, broken, wrecked, hopeless outside of Christ's earth that you and I live in. And yet, because we are the colony of God and On the earth, the church of the living God, we are the ambassadors, the emissaries of this marvelous King Jesus. Therefore, let us make it our gospel privilege and glory today, on this Resurrection Day, to be experiencers and ambassadors of the great exchange. And with this in mind, we are studying two verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. The title of the sermon, Ambassadors of the Great Exchange. The doctrine, the gospel is for everyone. Might be the shortest gospel doctrine message ever in the history of uh, my preaching. I don't know. But 
that is granted a pretty simple and short doctrinal statement, but it's true, and it also incorporates the verses that preceded. So it's not just standing on these, but the verses that were before. God reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ and using us as reconcilers of the world. The gospel is truly for everyone. The good news of Jesus is fit for every living creature, everybody, everything God ever created, even the animals and the plants and the inanimate things. All things are affected by fall. And the gospel is the glorious good news that begins to reverse it. No other information on earth ultimately means anything and certainly carries no benefit whatsoever aside from Christ's glorious glad tidings in himself. There is no denying it, dears. The gospel is for everyone. First, it is to be universally preached. Now, the earlier aforementioned citation of verse 19, A and C, read this way. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, and he entrusted to us, apostles and ministers, the message of reconciliation. And though we certainly completely and wholeheartedly understand and agree and accept the obvious fact from all the exegesis of the scripture that the Greek word cosmos here for world is in reference to the world of the elect in the world. From every tribe, nation, place, continent, God has his elect. These are the people particularly for whom we should be praying. And God is indiscriminate about his elect in the sense that they are spread all over the globe. And indeed, they need to hear the gospel just like we do. Its entire circumference needs to hear the preaching of this good news in and to the world. But, you know, there's more even to gospel proclamation or preaching than solely the Spirit's great and gracious ingathering of the harvest of God's elect, his new people, his community of grace, this community that preaches gospel. And we're about ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. We think of this time of the year. Ingathering, bringing in the harvest. And God does that every Sunday as he gathers his people to himself and brings them into his house of prayer for all the peoples, Isaiah 56, 7. There's also the living and vital fact and reality there's, that we maybe don't think about enough. The good news is for all the creation, because the entire creation has awaited to hear this good news. Ever since the day when Adam fell in the garden and thrust everything into death, decay, and sin. And you can read about this in Romans 8, 19 through 23. The creation groans and awaits the renewal of the children of God, the church of the living God. Granted, that will fully take its benefit and full effect on the final day, the day of the corporal bodily resurrection of all human beings, and the final judgment, the day of judgment, which are on the same time, the same day. Surely that will be the case, but even now the king's proclamation brings real and substantial hope to every living being and thing, even now. Everything awaits your hearing, your imbibing, your living, your proclaiming, your ambassadoring, 
this glorious good news of the King and Lord who has saved you and brought you from death into life. The gospel is for everyone. It's to be universally preached so that the elect church will fully experience it. Now, dears, that's really true. That's not just a, a Calvinist thing or a, a, a Reformed thing or a, a biblical thing, which it is. It's all of those. It's a covenantal fact. It's the truth. Ultimately, it's the elect people in the world that God is going to reach. This is the ultimacy. That real flesh and blood human sinners will be saved. Not because they got smart enough to figure it out and got better than their neighbor and figured out the, the truth, but because a sovereign almighty God came upon them when they didn't have any care for him at all. Running from him, hating him, despising him, working against him, doing everything they, we could possibly do to be obnoxious in his sight. And yet this wonderful, loving, gracious God has elected and will bring to himself every single one of his sheep into his pasture, into a loving relationship with the gracious, tender, kind, gentle, beautiful, sweet Father, brought to us, to him, through this beautiful Son of God, the priceless one, Jesus our Lord. This is God's message of reconciliation, the forgiveness of sins, the satisfaction that our sins have been paid for by the perfect one, whose atonement has cleansed them away, the only begotten Son of God. And this message of God's reconciliation with us as church not only has a justifying effect, which we just spoke of, but it also has a sanctifying effect, and this explains verse 20b of today's text, where the apostle wrote these amazing words, talking to a church now, Christians in it. He said, we, including his fellow apostles and ministers, we implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, dear saints, do you think the apostle Paul was thinking that some members of the church in Corinth were actually not justified? I doubt that. But he was concerned that they be reconciled to God in their fresh repentance and renewed love for God. That's what's being meant here. So the gospel has a full role to play in our lives. It's a message of salvation, and it's a message of restoration. And keep in mind that these words were written to a church that the great apostle Paul was instrumental in planting. And he wrote two long, important epistles to it. And chapter 6 will be very exciting as well. So we see that the gospel is for everyone. Now from the text, let us understand why ambassadorial preaching continues in the church itself, from verses 20 and 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. Why shouldn't it just end? You know, once a person's regenerated, born again, made right with God, why do they need more preaching? Why shouldn't it just be over? Uh, why didn't God just zap us into heaven immediately upon our regenerations? Well, we've already beheld some of the reason for why ambassadorial preaching would continue in the church through all the 
generations. But our text will help flesh it out. Suffice it here to say that because we continue to struggle with sin and our clinging flesh problem, which we all still have, obviously, because this is true, while we're in this life, we will always be in need of God's heaven-sent ambassadors of the good news, the ministry of the church. It's just inevitable. We absolutely have to have it if we're going to make it and persevere all the way to glory. And therefore, let us appreciate why ambassadorial preaching continues in the church itself. First, because gospel is the essence of all Christian ministry. Verse 20a. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You know, all of you who teach Christian education or have other opportunities like that in the church, everything you do is a gospel ministry. Actually, flowing out of that verbal expression of gospel ministry, all our actions are gospel ministry too. Everything revolves around the gospel. And what Paul says here to these Corinthians, reading it again, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, this appeal that Paul mentions is a gospel appeal. In other words, he employs the good news language to help to seek the Corinthians to attain to more faithful and full Christ-likeness, to grow up into who Jesus is, to still be the, the little tender lambs vulnerable in the world who love him, but who are maturing into what God would have them be. Have we ever stopped to realize that the very heart and soul of all the church's ministry, especially her spoken ministry, is gospel in essence? Paul does not say to the Corinthian Christians about whom he had some serious concerns, get out there and do something with your religious life. Get active. Get busy. Go out there and do something in order to show that you're truly religious. Go do something to make yourself look good in God's eyes, and at least in mine. He doesn't do that. Instead, Paul calls the Corinthians back to Jesus with this call of the gospel, urging them to be reconciled to God, as we, see, we will see in the balance of verse 20 here. But before we leave verse 20a, let's recognize a dramatic fact. God makes his, even God's own appeal to his own people, his church, his children, through human beings, particularly but not exclusively church ministers of the gospel. Surely through them, but through them to you, who then become the ambassadors of the entire embassy of the colony of God on the earth, the redeemed church of God, made up of sinner saints who still struggle, just like all the people we're going to talk to. Indeed, it's true. This is why Paul wrote under the Spirit's inspiration those words, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Why ambassadorial preaching continues in the church itself? Because gospel is the essence of all Christian ministry, and because all sin alienates even saints temporarily from God. Verse 20b. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his, oh, I'm sorry, his appeal through us. Verse 20b, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, dearest, ask yourself, you brilliant, humble theologians, this question. Would the Apostle Paul ever implore a non-Christian to be reconciled to God? Now, think about that one for a moment. Would the Apostle Paul ever implore a non-Christian to be reconciled to God? No. There's no record I know of where Paul or any other apostle or prophet ever implored any non-covenanted person to be reconciled with God. Now, you can go to the Old Testament prophets and it's absolutely full of it from start to finish. Read Isaiah, read Jeremiah. These guys aren't preaching to the pagans. They're preaching to the children of God. Same thing here with the Apostle Paul. So if this is so, that Paul is not urging non-covenanted, non-Christian, testamented people, not people making a profession of faith in Christ to be reconciled to God, what does this mean for us? Well, I think it means that we have to face the fact that even overtly covenant-keeping Christians, because keep in mind, he's writing to people in Corinth that went to church on Sunday. See, the ones who, who skipped out on their their profession and their commitments and their vows and lied about it, they're gone. But these people were there on that Sunday morning or afternoon after the worship service when some literate officer read this letter of 2 Corinthians to them. And they heard these words. They were actually in the audience, if you will. It means that even overtly covenant-keeping Christians can be in a state where they need to be freshly reconciled to God. Do you agree? I think the text is rather clear. And interestingly, most of the ambassadorial ministry mentioned in these two verses, 20 and 21, is in the church. Now, granted, earlier in verses 18 and 19, the gospel was preached in the world. No doubt about that. The message of reconciliation is preached in the world to excise from it the elect children, sheep of God. The ministry of reconciliation is preached in the church to help distinguish within it the elect from the non-regenerate. Because people that don't like those words aren't going to hang around the church in Corinth very long. Now, all of this is relevant because it is possible for even a redeemed person to be temporarily alienated in the provisional state of sinful rebellion from God. But here's the comfort, dears. Every single truly elect redeemed, elect slash redeemed soul will return to Christ. It's impossible for a true, truly converted person not to. Every single one of them will be. Because they have been cleansed and forgiven. They will return as renewed faith and repentance lovers of God. And that renewal will make them even more in love with God. So, if we're in a position where it's tough right now, we're not too sure, and you're able to persevere, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, and keep at it, be encouraged by that. But let us seek the Lord Jesus in faith and repentance and truth.
So we're, we're looking at why ambassadorial preaching continues in the church itself, because gospel is the essence of all Christian ministry. All sin alienates even saints temporarily from God. And finally, because the kernel, K-E-R-N-E-L, the kernel of the gospel, Christ, is thoroughly life-transforming. Verse 21. I'll add some pronouns here. For our sake, he, Christ, or God the Father, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we, the redeemed church, might become the righteousness of God. Now, there's that is a remarkable verse. I remember a man, a professing Christian, thought he knew a lot. He, he really didn't believe that Christ could be called sin for us. I mean, I, I said earlier, it seems blasphemous, doesn't it? We'll explain some of it. Now, this is an incredible verse. Now, if you have the ESV, which I'm using, it's a rendition that is quite different from any of the ones I had always used over the years and been familiar with, but it's a perfectly good translation. It just changes, turns, and moves some of the phrases around. But they're all there. It's all faithful. We'll follow it here. In this version, notice these glorious truths. First, Christ's atonement, which brings forth reconciliation, was for, quote, our sake. For your sake. For our sake. For the sake of the church, this was done. God did this for us. For our sake. He didn't do it for everyone. But he did do it for all the elect in the world. And only he knows who they are. We don't. Our role is to broadcast this gospel to everyone. Secondly, the Father made his own dear Son to be so perfectly identified with us in our sin that he, quote, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. That's a bold statement, my dears. Now, this does not in any way mean that Christ ever imbibed in any sin at any point. And he didn't have the original sin nature either. But he perfectly represented our sin on the cross, and there he bore that sin for us, his elect church, on the cross. So it was such a close connection, our sin and this sacrifice who would bear it, that Paul would say those amazing words that he did. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. And then finally, this sublime transaction where Jesus Christ took on himself or imputed to himself the sins of all his elect church, all of them, not some of them, not most of them, all of them. He imputes that to himself and then he places on us, the ones who have been cleansed, whose sin has been removed, he takes his perfect righteousness that he attained in keeping the law perfectly and imputes that to our account. The great exchange. That's what we mean by the great exchange. He took our sin, he gives us his righteousness. He gives it to his chosen, redeemed, and forgiven church. Now, my dear parishioners, this is monumental, divine, supernatural, miraculous, heavenly, and glorious good news. 
This is the gospel applied to our hearts. This is the hope we need. It's the hope everyone needs. It's the only hope for the world. So why do you think Paul tucks this amazing verse in the middle of a section which focuses on reconciliation? Well, could it be because all reconciliation with God is based on the great exchange of imputed sin being placed on Christ on the cross and imputed righteousness being placed on us when the Holy Spirit regenerates us by the anointing of the merits and atoning propitiation of the glorious Son of God himself? This is why we, you, I, are called ambassadors of the great exchange. As always, let's do some exciting application this morning and comprehend how ambassadors of the great exchange serve the true God in all creation. Now, we're going to expand the glories of the gospel a little bit, keeping in mind that it's all focused on Jesus, and it all comes out of that wonderful core of powerful cleansing and giving of the righteousness of God to us. We're going to expand the scope of our diplomatic duties here in our application section. We have seen, indeed, how the true church totally benefits from the great exchange and that Christ, as the central point of redemption, does it for us, taking our sin, imputing his righteousness. But now, let's talk about two other polar extreme entities of reality. Two great beings. First of all, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the only God that exists, the true God. One God, three persons. And on the other extreme, the rest of creation, the cats, the dogs, the trees, the horses, the uh, stars, the planets, the whole nine yards. And let's see how even they are served and honored by the faithful church's gospel ministry. You understand there's the only people that really care and have any savory effect on the creation, the world, the environment, are, are the truly born-again Christian people. Because they're the ones in the church that actually bring goodness to the world. Everything else is just spreading death all over the place. The manure of death everywhere. And we come and spread the seeds of life in the gospel of Jesus. Let's see how ambassadors of the great exchange serve the true God in all creation. First, we please the Holy Trinity by proclaiming the one great necessary message. I've taught you this over the years, but it's worthy of being restated, and that is that God is glorified through his, the great king's, preaching of his son and the gospel of that marvelous grace and mercy in Jesus. This is true. God is pleased with preaching whether anyone ever believed the gospel or not. God loves preaching. When I preach to you, I've told you this before, I'm concerned for you. I pray for you. I want God to use the preaching in your lives. But I don't do it first and foremost for you or the world or myself. It's for the triune God. It is a gift to him. It is what he loves. God would be glorified if no one believed the good news, but he has his sovereign elected people. And the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of glory, 
brings them in. You know, kings are always honored when their decrees, their wills, and their desires are made known across the wide expanse of their domains. How much greater is this the case when the God of glory, the Lord of love, broadcasts not just his laws and his requirements, but his grace and mercy in his glorious Son to us fallen, lost, dead, rebellious sinners? And he does this through ambassadors of the great exchange. Just do we want to please God today? Then put your faith in the Redeemer of God's elect, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood has secured your reconciliation with God. And as atoned for Christian churchmen, you are immediately enrolled as emissaries, ambassadors of God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We please the Holy Trinity by proclaiming the one great necessary message, and we bless creation by being lit up as the elect redeemed church. There's ever since the fall of man into sin, the whole world has been enveloped in the deepest hues of absolute spiritual darkness. Just think about that. What if you were just an animal in the Garden of Eden, or a tree, or a plant, or something? And all of a sudden, upon the sin of Adam, who had been placed over that creation by God as a viceroy, everything went dark. It died. A cold, clammy sense of death began to fall upon the earth. That has existed to this day. But Jesus Christ, the light of the world, broke into this darkness in his incarnation. Won't be long before we'll be celebrating it. You can read about it in John 1, 4 and 5. The light of the world. Even the darkness cannot overcome the light of the world. And now God in Jesus Christ lights up the entire universe by displaying the redeemed saints of his church as the stars up against the dark night backdrop of the fall and all its resulting sin and death. When our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning and his glorified resurrected foot hit the once sin-cursed earth, cursed by the first Adam, The reverse of the fall began right there. The new heavens and the new earth started springing up from that spot in Jerusalem. That place where Christ rose from the dead. And it spread all the way to Peoria County and all over the world for that matter. And still got some more ground to cover. He inaugurated something great. The light shone in him... Jesus then passed that light on to his disciples. One was Paul, whom we read today. They, in turn, gave it to the rest of us who make up Christ's church. That apostolic succession continuing from generation to generation in the faithful ministry of the redeemed church. All creation, us included, await the final consummation of this illuminated glory in Christ. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't take a, a, a genius to figure out that there's still work to be done, if you will. But we who are in Jesus, in his church, already know that he is the essence of it. We already have the down payment. We have the guarantee. We have all the assurance of it and the complete hope in it, in Jesus Christ through it. Put your faith in this glorious Lord who has crowned you with grace and compassion, love, tenderness, and mercy, 
who has raised you up, made you kings and princes of the earth, the most special people in the world. No one has the privilege you do. But we need to be humble and faithful in the discharge of our duties. Beloved ambassadors of the great exchange are truly supernally blessed human beings. Let us always seek by God's grace alone to be faithful as ambassadors of the great exchange. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for that, that we've been given this glorious privilege and opportunity to bring the the good news that you've already applied to us. We thank you. May we be faithful in so doing, loving you with all our hearts, growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.